0: Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond... Over the past year, Gardeners of the Galaxy has explored many different space plant experiments, from Don Pettit sowing seeds in his underwear, to successful space salads and experimental radishes and chillies. And the thing that keeps coming up is the challenge of watering plants in space. Anyone who has spent any time watching astronauts in space will have seen them playing around with water, which behaves in remarkable ways in microgravity. I'll put a couple of videos in the show notes for you, Chris Hadfield wringing out a wet washcloth, Tim Peake playing water ping pong, and one about the zero-g coffee cup. With water behaving in such unexpected ways, it can be tough to give plants enough water without it engulfing their roots. This year, a team of researchers has been exploring how we can use forces other than gravity to control water flows for plants. In a series of experiments called Plant Water Management, they have been developing systems that automatically deliver the right kinds of water flow for plant growth. Professor Mark Weislogel spent 10 years working at the NASA Glenn Research Centre investigating microgravity capillary phenomena and conducting experiments in drop towers, LOGI aircraft, on space shuttles and the Mir Space Station. Mark is now at Portland State University and is the Principal Investigator for the Plant Water Management Project. He's been kind enough to join us to chat about the wacky ways water behaves in microgravity and how clever engineering can solve the problem of watering plants in space. Hello Mark, welcome to Gardeners of the Galaxy. Thanks for coming on the show. going to be fun. <laughs> okay, so You are an engineer and you specialise in fluid mechanics and you've worked with NASA and you've conducted experiments on fluid dynamics in space shuttles, on the space station Mir, and on the International Space Station. So can you tell us a little bit about how water and other fluids behave differently in space, in microgravity? Sure. The
1: ocean is basically flat. Your coffee in your mug is basically flat. The water in your glass is flat. Swimming pools are basically flat. That's uh, gravity in your car, the fuel tank, the liquid's flat and that's gravity. You get rid of gravity and now all of a sudden you don't get that effect. And smaller forces control how the liquids behave when compared to gravity. And on the space station, for instance, gravity is reduced uh, a million times what it is on Earth. So what happens is these tiny little forces start to dominate the fluid behavior and in such a way that we're completely unaccustomed. For instance, where the liquid connects with a solid wall of uh, a fuel tank, say, there's a wetting phenomena there that will lead to a meniscus. And you may in chemistry or, or uh, physics classes in high school, yeah, you saw this, highly curved surfaces that look like a portion of a bubble. So when you go into space, now you don't have that happening in tiny little tubes anymore. You have have that happening in meter sized containers. And so now where there's no up no down and things like that, bubbles don't rise, droplets don't fall. Um, You get these highly curved surfaces that you can break up and shatter and spray all over the place. If you bump the tank, there's a whole bunch of challenges there. So from something as simple as uh, taking a shower to flushing a toilet, those things would be completely messed up in space. And you can just imagine how difficult it is to manage uh, liquids for plants. Maybe that doesn't sound like a challenge, but for decades, it's been a challenge.
0: OK, so I mean, a lot of the, the videos that we see from the space station involve astronauts playing with water droplets and things like that and batting them around and catching them in space. So we know that water behaves very differently. But you've worked with astronauts. I know you work with Don Pettit on his microgravity coffee cup so he could have a cup of coffee in space. Um, and I've seen videos of Scott Kelly. With, you had water repelling ping pong backs. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, so of all the experiments that you've done over the years, do you have a favourite.
1: Working with stuff in space has never, I've never been able to grow accustomed to it. We've done thousands of tests on the ground too, in drop towers, we call them. And uh, and we've done them in aircraft and we've done them in, in um, spacecraft and never have gotten used to this. It's, um, it's a joy in that way. I, I have to admit, it's a joy to see unearthly behavior on such a large scale. That's what's a joy. And uh, yeah. I would say all of them have had that element to it because we try to do science that, improves our understanding so we can design systems better. But we always have something wacky in there, you know, to 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 push the envelope of, of our exposure experience. And we also try to put something, you know, deeply scientific in it too. So we do something wacky, but we really can get some quantitative information and actually use it. But I want to say that everything wacky that we've ever done there we've actually used in a true yeah. application. And that's true with the plant research that's going on as well. Probably the biggest high we ever got in space, I, me personally, was was serendipitous. We designed this coffee cup where the lip of the cup, where you put your mouth to drink it, is actually the bottom of the cup.
0: When okay. gravity's
1: not in the picture, surface tension and wetting forces and the shape of the the container is what controls how the liquid behaves. And we designed this cup so that the bottom of the cup is actually the lip of the cup, so the astronaut touches their lips to the cup, and now there's a capillary force driving the fluid into your mouth as if it was gravity. There's no gravity, but as if there was, and so you have this sensation, your nose is right over, you can smell it. Well, anyway, we sent these things to space, and without our knowledge, (laughs) Samantha Cristoforetti, the Italian astronaut, brewed a cup of espresso in the Italian um, IS espresso, and without warning or anything, put the drink into the cup and floated back into the cupola and took this uh, viral image and tweeted it out. And, and uh-huh. the, the coolest part about that was she put on her star Trek outfit. She put a scalding drink in a open container. Nope. Okay. That's kind of a no, no. And then she floated into the cupola, a non yeah. <laughs> food area and drank it for that image. And so I was just so delighted that that happened. It just, she just did it. And uh, it happened and it was a triple violation, an open container with a blazing hot liquid in this cupola thing. And yet NASA could only smile and laugh. And then the impact was, wow, you can actually manage liquids in a safe way around delicate electrical instruments, even though it's a, a scalding fluid in this kind of thing. And then that opened the road to improving the safety restrictions for usage of open containers in space, it's actually had an impact. You know, it's had an impact, and now they can (laughs) consider capillary a level of control for liquids in space. So that goofy thing actually had significant um, engineering impact for fluids handling on spacecraft.
0: That's fabulous. I was just reading about that in in her autobiography, and was it Diary of an Apprentice Astronaut? So it's fun that you should mention it.
1: Oh, God. I just fell in love with her. When she did that, no one has ever made me feel like that. I just was on cloud nine.
0: Fabulous. (laughs) Okay, so we've done all this cool stuff with liquids in space, but at the moment you are principal investigator for a series of experiments called the Plant Water Management Experiments. And that's investigating how to control water to water plants in space. So how did that project come about?
1: Okay, so these have built on uh, experiments that have been conducted for for decades. So this research actually, for me, it actually started in the 90s and with one experiment after another and a lot of analysis, a lot of mathematical analysis on this and kind of in a fundamental sense, like, you know, uh, very fundamental work. People would say, why is this useful? And uh, it would get some criticism, (laughs) you know, probably probably from that in, in the early days for sure. But now we, you know, have learned a lot to be able to manipulate liquids that you could actually predict something like the behavior of liquid in something like this coffee cup. I know that sounds a little silly, but what we're doing is we're controlling how the liquids behave just from the shape of the container. And most yeah. engineering containers look like spheres or cylinders, geometries like that. But if the shape of the container is more like a tapered uh, interior corner with a uh, gorilla stomach kind of appeal. Then all the liquid goes to the place you want it to on its own, passively, spontaneously. The coffee cup is a great example. The liquid is going to the bottom of the cup. Well, there's many different ways to water plants. You could use soil, of course, but soil's heavy. It can't be reused very well. It's a a medium you don't want to carry to space. But how about hydroponics? You don't need anything but this channel. And if the channel is made well, well, what do you know? The liquid glides across the base of it just like it does on Earth. But there's no gravity. What's making that happen? It's surface tension, it's wetting, and it's the shape of that channel. And it's exposed to the air, so you get some aeration, and the nutrient solution glides along the base. And hopefully, the roots will comply and act like they do on Earth, which uh, can be very autonomous hydroponic systems, which are wonderful. And we'd love to have something like that working in space, huge plant growth facilities, you know, which are automated and, and can grow for production purposes, potentially, without anybody nurturing it. And of course, nurturing is always there with plants, but can you do it without that? And so these are the questions.
0: Okay. So, I mean, I've seen some pictures of the sort of experimental setups you're using and they are, (laughs) you're not using any plants for your experiments. You're using what I refer to as plant stunt doubles. So you've got things like sponges and bits of felt on sticks and and fruit punch for the liquid. So you can see what's going on. (laughs) Um, What are you hoping to learn? Process is all, it's everything's going on at the same time. You have
1: liquid introduced at one end of the channel how is it gonna get to the other end of the channel without gravity? So we exploit again this surface tension stuff and this funny shaped container that borrows from earlier research that shows that an interior corner can wick fluid without a pump. So liquid is introduced to one side, it wicks to the other side and it just happens to glide past a plant. So we make these dummy plant models such that they have a certain porosity to them and a fake wick structure so that they wick the liquid from the roots up into the foliage, and it's evaporating very quickly into the space station. So we get this evapotranspiration kind of a model with this dorky plant, and all we want (laughs) with the plant is that it alters the nature of the liquid in the channel. You could stick your finger into a channel liquid, and it wicks up your hand, and drains the container, it's building up on your arm, and everything's messed up. And the reason we use this special fluid that mimics this uh, nutrient solution that they're planning to use for uh, the plants, there's aeration issues that are with it. It has a strange surface tension. The drinks that we drink are highly contaminated. The, the astronauts make up the drinks and this one's just fruit punch.
0: Yeah, It's
1: got particulates in it. It's got small bubbles in it and it has these really crummy wetting conditions. Water is very difficult to maneuver passively in space because it has a highly variable wetting associated with it, is very easily contaminated, and it dissolves a lot of contaminants. So it's gonna be a challenge. It's definitely gonna be a challenge. But we've yeah. had great successes. The future is opening up in terms of hydroponics as a as an effective plant watering approach.
0: That's excellent. The astronaut Megan, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she tweeted that it was like she was growing lollipops because of the oh, smell. Yeah. <laughs> she said it was fantastic. That
1: yeah. was great. Oh yeah, Megan, Megan MacArthur, yeah. Oh, she was terrific. She was just terrific.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, what they're doing at the moment is is Plant Water Management 3 and 4. Is there a significant difference with this set of experiments than the ones you were doing earlier in the year?
1: Yes, so these experiments are are different for me in that they are um, technology development experiments. So NASA has this thing called TRL, it's Technology Readiness Level, and uh, we're moving up that scale. So they, they started off being more like, can it be done? How stable is it? Is it safe? You know, that kind of thing. Would engineers believe this? Because you can do some science and say this stuff, but you know, no one's gonna believe it. (laughs) No one's really gonna believe it. When it really matters, are they gonna believe it? So you have this level, these levels of demonstration. And um, the, the, the last ones, the three and four, just like took the lid off. And it looks like there's really significant capabilities to be able to have knobs that you can control to give the plants a fighting chance.
0: Okay. So I actually have a controllable environment and yeah, so a step towards autonomy. Yes,
1: and yeah. uh, passivity too, because once you get the settings right, you just leave it and now it automatically adjusts. The most recent experiments are the plant is evaporating liquids through it. The overall liquid is, level is dropping. The system is continuously pumping in passively new liquids to make up for that. It's take, taking care of bubbles. It's taking care of aeration. It's keeping the liquid in the right place. So it's doing the, doing the stuff that's necessary for a plant.
0: Fabulous. So, I mean... When you finished three and four, is that are they nearly finished with that? Now? Yeah, they,
1: they just completed.
0: Are you going to be moving on to another batch of experiments? Are they going to be plants right, involved? Right, five
1: and six. Uh, <laughs> that's, go, that's going on, and it's going to happen probably within a year, something like that.
0: Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And is that gonna, that's going to use some real uh, plants? There's
1: there, there are several things. I think maybe a half dozen things now to move on to this next stage.
0: Yeah, still working. Yeah.
1: Yeah, still working on. it
0: still working on it okay so we will we will watch that with interest then because that'll be fantastic we're talking about sort of passive methods of water control and you've mentioned the shape of the container what are the passive water transfers that you're talking about
1: okay um if you have a hydroponic system you have a channel usually looks like a gutter (laughs) okay and uh, you have this plant that's developed and this root bundle is now starting to develop in that nutrient solution that's flowing along a thin film kind of at the base. Yeah. What's driving that liquid from one side to the other? It's gravity. In uh, space, you don't have that. The liquid would just build up and overflow and billow out and make a mess. So what we have is we have these channels that once you draw out liquid from one side, you create a low pressure due to capillary forces, not gravitational ones, capillary. Now these forces happen to be significantly less than gravitational forces, but if you make the container a certain shape, then you can recover the same flow rate as you would say in an earth situation or one that the scientists say would be able to maintain the plant. So that's our target. So as you draw liquid out, okay, you introduce liquid into the channel and you draw it out. You create a gradient in the elevation of the liquid, but you don't have gravity pumping it along. You have surface tension. So there's different, I'm sorry to say, but curvatures associated with those surfaces, (laughs) they cause an under pressure in the liquid that sucks the liquid along. And so what do you know, you get this passive draw. And now you can have multiple plants and you can have plants in parallel. And uh, now you can go to town in your design. And we learned a lot on the way of how to do this. And we're really, really surprised at how robust this approach is. Fabulous. Ultimately, we can imagine hundreds of plants in parallel, in series, laid out however geometrically and architecturally you need for your plant growth facility, whatever that is, however you're, whatever you're trying to
0: do with the plants, because plants do so much, right? Okay, so I think we've covered all of the sensible material. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an idea of a plant that you would take into space? I, that's, uh, the jury's out on that to me. I mean, I
1: I, th- I definitely appreciate plants are beautiful. They're all around the house. They're, we live on a five acre plot. And so uh, my wife is completely into that. We just planted an olive grove and and uh, she has crops coming out all the time. It's wonderful. We live largely on the, on the food, on the property. So I would answer that question by saying for space, I would say the jury's out because it's going to take a unique kind of plant. It's going to take a unique plant because they are there's some phototropic plants, there's gravitropic plants, there's you know ones that require little care, ones that require a lot. And, and the germination stage could be significantly different than the later stage. And all of those things need to be addressed for this perfect plant. And and then uh, another thing, the plant could develop depending on the system that it's in, like um, depending on the water system, it could, could develop differently. And the geometry of the plant matters. It's actual geometry. So for instance, the root zone, how it develops and is that is still <laughs> these are still things that are being <laughs> discovered because if, if um the, everything about the plant is good it's so it's got to have like 20 things to go right and then the root cluster is such that you can't water it a certain way then done that one's out so it's interesting okay <laughs> and whether and uh so we're getting into crop production they're starting, that effort is underway. And, and uh, it's interesting to see, it's gonna be very interesting to see which plant takes off in, in space.
0: You're taking a very scientific approach to answering the question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay.
1: <laughs> hey, right now I like avocado. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great?
0: <laughs> you like an avocado in space. Yeah, nobody's oh, said yeah. that yet. That would be quite, I mean, they're <laughs> big trees. We're gonna need some space. Yep. Exactly. And it's definitely gonna need one of your watering chambers right. to keep that happy.
1: Right. But the plants are being pursued for a whole bunch of reasons other than food. I mean, yeah. the air cleanliness and the uh, the whole bio cycle, not to mention just the, the human factor, the joy of having a plant in the office. Yeah.
0: OK, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your work. It's been brilliant fun. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye.
1: Rock out, Emma. Later.
0: Thanks again to Mark for coming on the show and sharing his research with us, it will be exciting to see how plant growth habitats evolve as a result. In space, the chilli seeds have germinated in the advanced plant habitat and NASA astronaut Shane Kimbra thinned them down to the strongest four plants to grow on. And ESA astronaut Tomar Pesquet has started a new experiment to grow French marigolds in a specially designed capsule, there's more information on that on the blog. The next SpaceX cargo launch to the ISS, CRS-23, is currently scheduled for the 28th of August. It will be carrying a new plant experiment in the APEX series from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. APEX-08 will use Arabidopsis to study plants' genetic responses to stress to identify key targets for genetic engineering of plants more suited to microgravity. That experiment will use the veggie growing system. That's it for this episode. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with an interview with Dr. Christina Johnson, who will be telling us about the microgreens research she's doing at Kennedy Space Centre. In the meantime, don't forget to sign up for the Gardeners of the Galaxy newsletter so that you don't miss out on your astrobotany update next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Auckland Gardens is mission control. Confirming termination of signal. We've had a message from Mark Watney. Next time someone's near the rover, can they please check under the seat? He thinks he's left his house keys there. Mission Control out.